Okay. All right, let's uh, open up in some prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness to us all the week long, and thank you for the joy in the hearts of your people this morning, here and everywhere around this globe, as there's a common purpose and a common heart and a common theme uh, to just have you reveal yourself further and more deeply to us and, and thereby transform us more and more to the likeness of Christ in whose face we see your glory and help us to think clearly this morning and and to uh, share our, our insights and understandings um, not only for our intellect which you so richly give us for enjoyment but also to stir our emotions and provoke us to a, a greater sense of wonder about you. Amen. Okay, so we're, we're picking up again in the parables with off and on with that a little bit here and there with different things going on and that's okay we have some other things uh, coming up as well there's going to be some uh, there's going to be a week or two of some of the brothers sharing some thoughts I believe on astronomy right mm. and so that's coming up I think at the end of this month um, I have to check with them I've Gently nudge them a few times, so maybe I'll just hammer them with a with <laughs> a particular. And di- yes, well, I wasn't going to give away the. I was going to let it be a surprise and a secret, but that's all. Right. <laughs> 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 I'm just kidding. No, and I think that would be great. You know, a couple of young men that are yeah. excited about what they've been studying and they're dying to share it with people, and uh, they're a little bit nervous and everything, which is great. That makes for so much uh, really good interaction when you're preparing and teaching. So pray for them as they prepare too. So, we're going to be in the parable, so-called, of the great banquet this morning, as we find it in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24. So, if you want to turn there and follow along, or, or just listen, whichever you prefer, Luke chapter 12, verses 12, uh, I'm sorry, 14, verses 12 through 24. He, uh, <clears throat> Jesus, said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers, or your relatives, or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return, and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed, because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for banquet... He sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servants, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. Amen. So, quick thoughts uh, Eight words or less. What's this parable about, do you suppose? You don't have to count your words, actually. Close enough. <laughs> quick, quick summary. Yes. yes, go ahead, John. Jewish people rejecting Christ and calling us the Gentiles. Mm. Before yes. honor is humility. Before honor is humility. Absolutely that. Yes. Todd, was that a hand or just a... No, scratching my just, head. Just scratching your head in thought. That's good, good. Yeah, stoking the fires, as it were. Good, good. Okay, um, before we sort of dive into it, just was contemplating this myself, this, you know, sort of the theology and the eschatology of Jesus. Where Jesus got his theology and eschatology, and it's easy enough for us to say, well, you know, after all, he is God in the flesh. But I think if we do that, we run into some of the same problems as the historical church in sort of being careful not to sort of uh, differentiate specifically between you know Jesus his, his his human nature so to speak what he did and what he didn't know Jesus had to grow in wisdom and stature Jesus had to grow in knowledge Jesus had to study the scriptures Jesus had to be a student of the Old Testament and and I think that 
this is where we see Jesus get some of his wonderful ideas for these parables. Uh, and I, I likely have shared this before, and it's just my own musings over how Jesus developed these things, but I see him at nighttime when he's alone, sort of sitting back, reflecting on the scriptures and meditating on the scriptures and the situation that he's in and the people that are around him and what he's encountering on a daily basis and what he's uh, hearing people say, how he sees his disciples responding to his teaching, what he's encountering from the Pharisees. And I think as Jesus meditates on the scripture and he thinks about these things, I think this is the genesis, so to speak, of his parables. I think he begins to put these ideas together. Um, I don't think they're necessarily just something he thought of right there, spot on the moment and did it. I, I suppose that's possible, but that's very hard for anyone to do. E- everything that we share, everything where we teach a child a lesson, where we're trying to impart some new knowledge to somebody, it's always on the basis of what do I sort of know about that person or what common experience do we have or you know, what, what, what's going on in our life together, what's going on in our culture, what, what's, what's a common theme, what's, what's, what do we share in common that already gives all the background for what's about to be said. So, so that has to be known. And that, and that takes some thought. That takes some thought. Uh, I think teachers in particular are thoughtful and careful about how things all fit together. And so I think Jesus, we know, for example, uh, we also know, too, that another reason why I think Jesus uses the Old Testament is because uh, why his ideas, his parables, flow from his thoughts on uh, the Scripture is what we spoke about way at the beginning of the series when we said that parables were given basically for two reasons. One was to reveal and the other was to conceal. Mm-hmm. And there's a this truth that's being concealed that Jesus is using. But the truth is actually readily already there in the Old Testament. So Jesus may be bringing it to a light in a way that the previous the prophets did not or, or could not. And you know Jesus being the fullness of everything. Jesus being the thing to which all of the scriptures point. He's able to bring it out in... Um, authoritatively fresh ways and even deeper ways but I think that another reason why he uses and another reason why I think he sort of reflected on these things in the Old Testament is as is the case in this particular parable as in the case of all the parables the Pharisees in particular should know what he's talking about but because they have so twisted the Old Testament they have the, 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 their covenant with God they have so broken their covenant with God they have so misconstrued they have so misunderstood, they have so misplaced their own identity as God's chosen people and what that was supposed to mean that they couldn't possibly understand what the scriptures were intended to mean. And so when Jesus uses parable, he's, 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 he's going to give a great teaching and yet it's going to remain concealed to them because they've already hardened their hearts to it. Um, we know that Jesus liked the prophet Isaiah quite a bit. Why, why do I say that? Why do we know that Jesus, I think Jesus did, I think it's fair to say, spent much time reflecting in the prophet Isaiah. Now, why do you suppose that's a fair conclusion or a fair statement? He made reference to him? Yeah, he made reference to him. When, 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 did, he, when did he make reference to him in particular that, that, that's helpful? Okay. Yeah, right. The first time he preached, right? Pretty much, isn't it? Is it the first time he preached, brother? Todd, does that sound familiar? Yeah. yeah, I think it's the first time he preached, right? He took the scroll of Isaiah, he stood up, mm-hmm. and he preached uh, something. He didn't, somewhere. he just read it and he sat down and he said, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Right? Amen. And certainly he must have meditated there often. Uh, I mean, the suffering servant must have been such a. I mean, imagine what it was like to meditate on the sort of what we call the suffering servant passages of Isaiah. From the perspective of Jesus, we, we we look at it from the perspective of those who are the recipients of God's grace to us in Christ Jesus, and we can look at that in Isaiah and be confounded by that and just be mesmerized. A at the, the length of time which passed between the prophecy itself and the fulfillment of it, to know that wow, you know, seven hundred or whatever years ago, this was spoken about Jesus, and you see the particulars fulfilled so um, fully in Him. But for Jesus, and I don't want to get into what was Jesus' sense of self-identity. There's plenty, I suppose, written about that and a lot of thought on that. And he did, you know, how much? Certainly, know in the three years of his ministry, he was going to the cross. And we know that from the very beginning of his ministry, he knew he was going to the cross. And so, as his identity began to take shape and form over time, you know, when he was six years old, did he know the Messiah? I doubt it very much. Okay, when he was ten, 
I don't know. When he was 12 and in the synagogue, I think he was starting to get a little sense of what was going on. Yes? I had the impression that uh, when you read passages like Psalm 22, mm-hmm. Jesus grew up on that. And he, he couldn't not know that that was, that was for him. That was uh, again, if he grew in wisdom and he grew in stature and he grew in understanding and he grew in a lot of the ways we do, um, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I'm not prepared to really wax eloquent on it, but I am sort of of a mind from what I do see in Scripture that there are things that Jesus came to know and understand about the Father and about Himself. Because our experience, in many ways, is like the experience of Jesus and coming to realize who we are and what our purpose as God's creation is. And as His church, what our purpose is in, in sort of uh, not only representing God, but really reflecting His image to the lost world and to one another. So I think that it, 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 Jesus was a person in process in the same way that we are. I don't think Jesus had a full sense of his mission at 12. Jesus said, man can't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth yes. of God. Mm-hmm. He must have certainly been an ideal example of one who lived by the word of God. Well, he was without sin regardless, even from birth. So he had that advantage. <laughs> right? I mean, he had that advantage with respect to even his desire to reflect on the scripture, right? Mm. I mean, many of us, sometimes our desire isn't even there. We prefer to, you know, do whatever else. It's just honest, uh, to be honest. So, I think that Jesus uh, reflected on these things a lot and, and that's just sort of my sense of just, just bringing a little bit extra, I think, to the study that I think is helpful. I want to go specifically to some passages in Isaiah where Jesus very likely uh, sort of thought about and how this reflection on these passages very well informed his sense and helped him to create the parable in his mind and what he came up with. And see, what is it like, you know? Because again, because was that a human or a just a door? I want to make sure somebody didn't come face first into the back of that door and lying there. And a, are we okay? Somebody did fall. I thought for a minute though the Lord was going to have to call on me to perform a miracle there. <laughs> I was ready. I was ready to try. So, uh, welcome. We're, we're in a study in the parables. Um, we're in the study of the parables of Jesus this morning. And we're continuing in Luke chapter 14, verses 12 through 24, the parable of the great banquet. And we're, we're referring now back to Isaiah, where, again, I believe Jesus got a real good sense of um, developing this parable that he was about to share. Not only this time, but he shared this parable in, a, in another circumstance in Matthew, but with some different purpose to it and different flavor. And Jesus did that, you know. Just because we see the we see the parables told sometimes in two different gospels and they serve a different purpose when they do slightly tweaked a different way um, and certainly there's nothing shouldn't be anything too surprising about that Isaiah chapter 26 I'm sorry chapter 25 verses six to nine uh, and then we'll read the actual text for our lesson in Luke so Isaiah chapter 25 verses six through nine. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Now, that is very specific in its reference to a feast and its reference to salvation. And the two of those are very much intertwined with one another. And then if you would pop over to Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 3, and verse 8 also. <coughs> 
Thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who, <clears throat> who does this, and the Son of Man who holds the fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeping his hand from doing any evil. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. We could, preach, we could teach on these passages a long time. The Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those already gathered. What a theology in this. What a theology of that person that is outside of the Jewish race and ethnicity and identity. What a promise for those that think that given what they may have heard so far, they may be in some way excluded from the fullness of God's kingdom. What a verse the eunuch saying, let not the eunuch say I am but a dry tree. What an encouragement. What, and I think these things, perhaps others, are in the, in the mind of Christ, in, in his reflections and in his meditations, and just coming up with, with sort of these parables. And uh, again, I just don't think, I have to think of Jesus in a certain sense in his humanity as how does he go about taking his theology and have that work itself out practically in his life and his ministry to others. And if we were to, 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 to commit ourselves, and, and I know certainly to some extent we do, meditating on the scriptures, reflecting on them, reflecting on what does this mean, rather than just sort of giving the scripture and some un contextualized manner to the unbeliever who doesn't know a lick about Scripture, who doesn't know the first thing about the plan of God. You know, sometimes we can talk to unbelievers as if they're already well-versed in Scripture or something, or as if they ought to be, or as if there's just some magic power and just that line of Scripture that's going to do it. And I don't think the Scripture works that way. I have every reason to believe it doesn't. But I think we can reflect on the Scripture, we can meditate, and we can think about, you know, what are the people I work with like? You know, what's going on with this person right next to me? What's what's going on in the culture? You know, what's 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 all this this anger and hate that's brewing all the time? Where's all this coming from? And then let the scriptures guide our our approach to ministering to this world and to one another. So to the parable. <clears throat> so <clears throat> I think that in addition to um, it's a wonderful parable, I think, about the grace of God. I think it's a wonderful how grace functions in unexpected ways, and I hope that becomes clearer to you. And I think it also process, it features sort of the process of hardening that we see in humankind. We see this in this little parable as well. And, and hardening is a process. And, and how easily one can deceive oneself and in some way think that they are likewise giving God some reasonable excuse for refusing His invitations and His promptings and His dealings. That, that humankind, that, 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 that as we as humans, and I think even sometimes as believers, which we'll touch on either this week or next week, we, we, we can manufacture excuses that we sort of have to do because we have to talk ourselves into it, but then we also simultaneously think that somehow this, reasonable, this excuse is reasonable to God as well. That, 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 that God understands after all. Right? And so we presume things upon God which was clearly a, a common everyday practice of the Pharisees. Mm. <clears throat> and also, um, the preparation the preparation love of God, the preparatory love of God, I think we see in here as well, uh, which, you know, which, which makes refusal even that much more foolish. If we were to understand all that God has done in preparing the way for relationship and reconciliation with Him, mm. if we would see what that's like, if we would see the, the scores of history that have gone before us, you know, uh, whatever the various thoughts of people are in, in the relationship to the old covenant and the new covenant and what it means that that's been abolished and, and the new one is whatever that means what it certainly doesn't mean is we don't look back and see wow look at the history that led up to the fullness of time right because Paul writes somewhere in the fullness of time Jesus was born of a woman what sense does it make to talk about the fullness of time if there isn't some consideration as to what does that mean that the time is full right so I think we see a little bit of all of that taking place here. Let's take a look at first at verse 15. Uh, when one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. In Luke 14. Um, yes, Luke chapter 14, and we're in verse 15, the parable of the full 
context is 12 to 14, but um, what, what would prompt, do you suppose, this man reclining at the table who's been hearing these things that Jesus is speaking about, okay, and, and those things being, if you go all the way back to verse 7, Jesus said, look, when you, when you come in and you sit down, don't take the place of, don't take the, place of the highest seat, otherwise the, 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 the host might come in and say, hey, get up and move, that seat's for somebody else, you know, and you'll be humiliated, you know, but take the lowest seat. So he talked about that, and he talked about when you give a dinner, don't invite your friends or your brothers or relatives. Uh, and by the way, that, that, that doesn't, don't make a uh, wrong application to this about if you have a meal at your house, you can't invite your friends, your brothers and relatives. Okay, that's, that's not what this is about. I'm not going to get into why that doesn't make sense because I don't have time for that. But hopefully it just becomes self-explaining what, what, what we're getting at. But he says, but when you give a, a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Okay? Now remember who's he? You have to remember who he's, uh, who he's giving this, who he's talking with. He is at Jesus. They probably already attended synagogue, okay? And he is at the house of... I think you have to go back to verse 1. So on the Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. Alright? And let's face it, that's why they invited him. Hey, let's invite Jesus to dinner. And let's watch him. Let's watch him. Let's see if he's really one of us. Okay? Let's see if he's really one of us. And I suspect that even this man, when he, who was reclining at the table, right? Remember, that's how they ate. Who was reclining at the table. And so they're eating. Says, you know, <clears throat> you know, bless, you know um, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. And perhaps they thought Jesus would go on to sort of say, yes, you know, blessed are the ones that keep the law. And, you know, just... I, 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 that's what they're expecting. That's what they're expecting. Yeah, yeah. They, they were always in the process of wanting to sort of to trap him. And, and we see that because we're told as much, right? So they, so they could watch him. So if the if the one that, that invited him, right, is the ruler of the Pharisees, okay, who do you suppose the rest of the guests are? They ain't the lame and the blind, right? They, they ain't, they ain't the, the, they're not the people that would also be considered, as we'll see in the parable, you know, some of the outcasts. They're certainly not Gentiles. So this is a gathering of the, Pharise- the Pharisaic elite doing what was done in that time. The custom was to have their, you know, the, the teaching rabbi stop by for a meal and get his thoughts on things. But again, you better answer correctly, right? So, why do you suppose this man, uh, why do you suppose he responded to what Jesus was saying in this way? Why did he say, after Jesus says all these things, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Why do, you, why do you think he said that? Do you, do you think it was part of the setup? Do you think it was... Or what do you think he was reacting to in Jesus' words? Or is he just expressing... Is he just verbalizing some more Pharisaic philosophy? I don't, I don't know that there's an easy, quick, ready answer. Yeah, take a chance. My impression is that he was, in a sense, trying to bait Jesus. Mm-hmm. He was trying to see what he would say to a rather... Uh, not really provocative statement. Yeah. But, uh, uh, it, it, it expected, like you said, him to maybe join in and yes. affirm mm-hmm. that statement, but also expound. And uh, I think he didn't respond the way that they expected him. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Do you see a word or maybe two words in here that might give us some clues? Um, which is carefully done. Just take a look at each word. See what it does. Yeah. We have a reference to the resurrection of the just. Yeah, I think, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Lord certainly does that. But but what is this man? Why is this man? In other words, what does Jesus say that gets this man to say that? Or are you, am I missing your point? Because that's a little bit further in. Yeah, John. Well, I think after the, after the parable, after Jesus recites the parable, uh, it, it seems like there's going to be some people excluded. Mm-hmm. And he may be the type of guy, oh, no, no. Right, right, yeah. Everyone's going to be part of it. Mm-hmm. No, 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 no. Uh-huh. He's not that bad. <clears throat> Could be. I, I, I think there's a, you know, he says, I wonder if he is trying to sort of say, when he blessed is everyone who will. And, um, again, wanting Jesus to sort of give some sense of who does Jesus think the everyone is. You know what I mean? Is he going to, is he going to make sure he excludes? You've got to think about what you know about the Pharisees. I mean, what are they always doing? They're always excluding. I mean, they're just a party of exclusion. 
Right? Jesus said to them, look, you, you shut up the kingdom of heaven to people. You, you, you crisscross land and sea to make one convert in the process. You make each, each convert uh, a twofold child of hell more than yourselves, Harrison. Possibly, uh, this man thinks that he'll be counted among the just. Just, just oh, definitely. I think he knows. He thinks he's there. He thinks he's in. Yeah. And I don't know that he is or he isn't. I mean, he's not if he's, you know, really steeped in Phariseeism, but... Yes, Mark? You know, just because, uh, like it says in verse 15, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, they were already feasting. Mm -hmm. So I think what he's saying is, you know, he's almost saying, we're here, but they're already. And uh, woe be unto the people who aren't feasting with us. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Um, Yeah, I think that's a good point, because I think that... um, yeah, I think that's a good point. One I hadn't thought of. Uh, I was looking as much at the will, Nikki. Yeah, it's kind of like um, when it's like blessed it's kind of like an exaltation mm-hmm. on like you are so great to be at this feast, yeah. eating with us at the kingdom of God. Yeah. But then Jesus puts a spin on it and yes. says, "No, not blessed, I'll be exalted." Uh-huh. And then he's going to put all the low and the meek people out there, yeah. the lame and the blind. Yeah, I, I, he's and again, Jesus is very subtle the way that he does this. Right? Let that inform us as well. Uh, I, Sometimes, I'm going to speak for myself, I, I tend to be a person that d- doesn't take enough time to interact the way that I should with certain people. Sometimes, um, you know, I, I, I can come out sort of guns a-blazing, you know what I mean? Uh, with such a challenge that not only is it overwhelming, but my manner might be intimidating, you know? Uh, you know, all five, seven at me coming at you at once is a pretty threatening thing, you know? But just the idea of just... Just tread lightly here and, and, and be very wise, okay? And, and sort of watch what he does. See, be wise as a serpent. You don't strike like one. <laughs> Just slither around the thing a little bit, right? And, uh, and, 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 and be attentive. And, and I think Jesus models that for us. Everything Jesus does is discipling. Everything he does is discipling. Uh, imagine the way Jesus stood up and walked was discipling. I mean, everything about him was mentoring and, and teaching. So, yeah. So I think there is. A, I think the the will eat uh, at the same time. And this is why, Mark, you just sort of derailed my train of thought a little bit because I was thinking that the will eat might show that gee, that they don't quite understand that the kingdom is among you already. Okay. And uh, but I guess that doesn't really entirely isn't entirely contradicted by what you say because if I understand you're suggesting that they, they think that sort of what's going to happen then is already happening now. These are the ones. Well, These are the people. They, they, they pretty much knew they had arrived right. yep. in their minds. Yep. And, uh, yeah, they did. Very good. <laughs> Verses 16 to 17. Uh, and then Jesus starts, but he said, Jesus said to, to that man, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. So the invitation, and you have to understand the way this works, the invitation has been accepted by these people. Okay, It isn't like, I'm going to send out the invitation. I don't know how RSVP worked in those days. Uh, right? They didn't have responding simple play by text. I don't know how it worked, but that was the way it worked. I mean, the preparer of the feast had to know how much to prepare and everything in a sense. Okay, So it's a, the assumption is that they've accepted the invitation. Okay, and now, and now, uh, and now it's time. Okay, um, who, who's giving the great banquet, by the way? And what is the great banquet? So let, let's sort of. So obviously, the the parable is teaching us something about more than just a great banquet. What's the what, what do you suppose the great banquet is in the spiritual sense of this thing? Yeah, yeah. Th- I mean, this is. Uh, th- there is a whole, and, and we'll get into this somewhat, I think, as well. I don't know if I referenced the text here or not but there is an expectation of a messianic banquet at the end of the age even among Jewish thought although that's not articulated so well yes I think Jesus summarizes when he says about the day that's coming when they shall come from the east the west yes. and the north and the south yes. and they shall sit down with Abraham yes. Isaac and Jacob in yes. his kingdom yes. and the children of the kingdom that is those by nature yes. the Jews will be cast into outer darkness yes. so I think these, both of these two parables are sort of setting up that whole ideology of the future. Not only so, and it's a great point, brother, but I, I believe uh, in the text, and I think Luke tends to go more chronological, that has been said to them already. Jesus has already unleashed that 
verbal sort of truth upon them. He says, look, they're going to come from the east and west and north and south and they're going to sit down at this Messianic banquet. They're going to sit down at this great feast and you're not going to be there. And so my guess is, if we have that in mind as well, I think that also continues to feed our understanding as to what these guys are inviting him to dinner for and what can they get out of him. You, you, you went back to Jesus' first sermon when he read Isaiah. Yes. And when he says to them about there were many widows yes. in Israel. And who did he go to? That's right. The woman of Sarepta. That's right. There were many lepers. Who did he go to? Naaman the Syrian. Yeah. So he's setting it up saying, well, yes. look, at, you know, you, you've had a privilege for a long time. Yes. Uh, the reality is that now the gospel is yeah. going to go over the walls and yes. it's going to reach the, the world of the Gentiles. Amen. Does anybody play chess in here? Are you chess players? Mm-hmm. So they, they would call themselves that? Okay, well, I'm, I'm not going to waste the analogy then because there's only like you know, three or four of us. <laughs> uh, does anybody really stink at it? <laughs> well, well, just for the sake of us that have played chess, you, you know that chess is a game of... It is a game of... I mean, it is like a game of manipulation and foresight and anticipation and, you know, anticipating what's going to be said and done and knowing... So you're learning the way that person operates in the game. You've already got a sense of, okay, this is how this guy uses his pawns. Okay, so this is how this guy uses his bishop. Oh, this is how this guy uses the rook. Oh, I see. He thinks his queen... He's only using his queen like a bishop. He doesn't realize the power of the queen. So... You start making your moves based on their weaknesses and their understandings. And that goes on constantly between Jesus and the Pharisees. It's like a spiritual chess match going on between them. you know. And that's why they're always trying to find out what does he think so that they likewise can... I mean, this is a cosmic battle of good and evil going on. We see what's going on with the Pharisees and we see the interaction with Jesus and we, we find it interesting, but we've got to understand what a battle is going on. Every interaction is just like this cosmic war that's happening behind the scenes that we don't see in this under the surface stuff that's going on is just immense. Oh, isn't Jesus mighty? Isn't he something? Yeah, Todd. In one sense, there's some more, you could say, historical subtlety going on here in terms of Israel's failure Most. to evangelize the world. Entirely. Yeah. They entirely were supposed to be a light to the Gentiles. That's also Isaiah in its... You know, in its um, Understanding, and, it's, and it's, that's, that's the whole impetus behind so much of that stuff. That's why Jesus, I think I shared this before, Jesus, um, Jesus is Israel reduced to one, somebody said. You know? Jesus is everything Israel was supposed to be. You know? Or as I also like to say, this is, this is my own, not quite so scholarly, but Adam, nailed, uh, Adam failed it, Jesus nailed it. <laughs> so... Uh, what kind of preparation takes place? I mean, any of you, and especially the women, prepare things. So you know what? You, look at the preparation you guys had to do last week, right? You were up all night, and you had a real purpose for this. This this was to sort of get people all kinds of involved and excited about what's going on in in our body as we attempt to minister to Haiti, and also to see our uh, anyone that would be going there. You know, the, the spiritual. Uh, what's there for them so all the thought and planning you know up all night how much food is it going to take all that when we think in, in, in a sense of what is God's and I, I already alluded to this a little but what did God do to prepare for so the invitation was sent out and, and now it says now the time has come right? because now Jesus is here Jesus is in a certain sense the servant we become the servant but look at the preparation everything that has gone into a people. Think about the prostitutes in the lineage of Jesus. Think about some of the other wretches in the, in, the, in, the, in the lineage of Jesus and how significant that is. And think of everything God did in terms of giving... Uh, I mean, even when He had uh, Israel captive for 430 years, they had to be captive for a certain period of time until the iniquity of the Ammonites was fulfilled. You know, everything is planned and processed. Everything has to happen the way it has to happen. You know, uh, God could have just prepared in such a way that Jesus would come on the scene and God could sort of miraculously give everybody an understanding of what's going on and then just have Jesus fulfill it. But He didn't do that. He had lots and lots of history and people like you and me with, with kids and with sickness and with death and with challenge and with war and with fights and with everything else that has gone on as a preparatory sort of act in preparing 
And so really in a sense, I don't over-spiritualize every point of the parable, but there is a lot of this, if we think about it, going on in God's sovereign plan, right? If we could think of all that has gone on, it's so much. Um, so again, here we are, you know, and how that relates to Israel in particular, and how they have really missed it, as Todd was saying. So everything's ready then, I guess, you know, for the fullness of time. And the invitation goes out. Now, <coughs> in, in verse 18, we begin to see what is... Uh, uh, and, and everything's ready. You can't remember that. Why is Jesus saying that to everything is ready? But there's a point to this parable. Everything <coughs> is ready. This is the time. I mean, Jesus was saying to his disciples, pretty soon I'm going up to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. They're going to, they're going to despise me. I'm going to be turned over to Gentiles. I'm going to be you know, put to death by sinners. All the, everything has happened. I mean, everything, everything is in place. And some saw it. So then he gets the response here. And this response also is significant. But they all like began to make excuses. The first said to him, uh, <clears throat> I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Uh, these, these series of excuses, by the way, I think are intended to embarrass the host um, and they're, they're, and they're intended quite possibly even to keep the banquet from happening. Um, that's not my own thought. That's something that I read from a few people that commented on that. And I think it's quite possible. Only because the excuses are so absolutely pathetic. Okay? Um, and did you get the, King, didn't we get the King James handy on that? Would you read that verse 18? Because there's a word in there that seems to allude to this. Maybe a sense of collusion going on. And they all with one consent. Yes. They all with one consent. Began to make excuse. Isn't that an interesting translation? They all with one consent. As if they colluded a little bit. And that's where I sort of got that idea from, you know, checking out the... I saw that in the King James as well. <coughs> they all with one consent sort of began to make excuses. Um, quite possibly. I mean, it's not unlike the point that Jesus is trying to get at with the colluding Pharisees who invited him to dinner. Right? And we see Jesus turning the tables a little bit. Uh, what a master! You know, he is. How, how, how wonderful to be free of sin as an evangelist. <laughs> you know what I mean? I mean, every gift we have from the Spirit is great, but they're still, they're not, they are fallible gifts. They are. I mean, uh, preachers can, can, can preach wrongly. Uh, I mean, it's, so, suffice it to say, the process of buying and selling land is much longer than the brief time interval between invitation and acceptance, and, and, and uh, you know, uh, acceptance of the invitation and the actual meal itself. Okay, especially in that day, it took time. Well, actually, I shouldn't say especially in that day. Anybody try to buy a house in the last thirty years? Well, it was agony, right? Now you even have to submit to the Patriot Act, right? You're like a potential terrorist if you're buying a house, and you, if you've got ten thousand dollars in the bank. You could be a terrorist. You know, that's the assumption we live under these days. But anyway, so it, it took a long time. How easily distracted I am. How is it the teacher gets distracted in his own thoughts? I don't know. But uh, the, it's an insult to say I have to go sort of see to that. Because you accepted the invitation. And it's not as if you got the invitation and accepted. Suddenly a piece of land become available. And so i, I got to take care of this now. No. First and foremost, you would, you would take care of this first commitment. So it's really a pathetic excuse. And, 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 and then he, has, he asks to be excused. He sounds polite. Please have me excused. As if, as if this is really a sufficient reason to be excused. I mean, he offers this as an excuse and says, please have me excused. And then in verse 19, and another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. This one might be even more pathetic because no one in that time purchased oxen without first testing them. You don't buy the oxen first and then test them. Not much, you don't go buy it. You don't see a car. I suppose you can. I don't think you can buy a car online. I wouldn't oh, recommend yeah. it. You can find a car online and then go to it, but I don't, I don't recommend that you make a credit card payment or a loan payment online and then go to the car. Okay? Right? You, go, you, you, you test drive the car. I mean, the process of buying the car is somewhat agonizing, right? Imagine getting invited to, you know, a big meal. All right, you're gonna go have, uh, you're gonna go have a, whatever. You're gonna either have 
some of Michelle's many things that she concocts on a Sunday night. It's just wow. You know, you're going to have this. You know, you're going to get the smoke of bro. You know, all, you know, and so you've invited people, and you know, and now you're playing, you're doing all this and that, and then you say, hey, you know, you, they haven't shown up, and you text them and say, hey, man, where are you? Uh, you know, uh, Larissa says, hey, Seth is kind of wondering where you're at. Oh, would you please tell Seth that I'm buying a car? <laughs> I, I already paid for it. I got to go take it for a test drive, right? I would think, you know, you'd say, here, take take this long double pronged fork and when you see that person again stick it in their eye you know you would just be like are you crazy are you why would you do that you know um, things that make you angry for 500 <laughs> so this is really a pathetic excuse and again it, 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 it is silly and, and you know Jesus obviously makes really silly points and he makes them extra silly for a reason the Pharisees ought to see their own foolishness at some point. They ought to know what their purpose is. They ought to know the responsibility that they have over God's people Israel as both their religious and really socioeconomic and political leaders. They should know. So, you know, do, do we really think, does he really think that that's going to be an accepted excuse? We'll talk about that more as we uh, you know, next week more when we, we, we look at this from a, a, a little deeper application to, to ourselves sort of standpoint. Uh, the, the, the yoke, the, the, the oxen, you know, if, if you've got five yoke of oxen, you'd want to see if they work well together. You know what I mean? What, what if, you do that beforehand. Uh, it's almost appalling the excuses that they give. Yes? These two examples, at the very least, it's not something you couldn't do the next day. Oh, sure, like absolutely. The banquet isn't going to last for two weeks. Well, exactly. You know? It's like I said, you'd be calling, like, you know, texting back to you, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm buying a car. I can't be there, you know. Um, these are not legitimate excuses by any stretch of the imagination. And just the very idea of them saying, please have me excused, yes. I was thinking what the excuse actually is. This is your eternal dwelling place. Mm. And, and you're more interested in doing whatever you need to do here on earth. Mm. You know, I, I think um, in today's language, we would say I have to go rearrange my sock drawer mm. as, you know, as the importance of whatever it is mm. that I got to do is more important than going to heaven. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and we'll, we'll, we'll pick up on that sort of theme as well <coughs> next week a little bit more uh, when we sort of try to give ourselves a little current context with it. <clears throat> this was in, in Arab tribes this was tantamount to a declaration of war that's how seriously the Arabs took fellowship and meals and, and, and it would be such a smite it would be such a uh, we don't understand this as much we would be insulted as people we'd be like well, I ain't inviting that guy again or you know, next time I'd see him be like hey thanks a lot You know, what's the matter with you buying a car I hope, hope you get a flat tire I hope you break down at 290 in the expressway at, at rush hour you know what I mean but in that day, man, it was this was like a declaration of war. You got to understand the way Middle Easterners in that day and even today look at the meal time. And if a meal is that important, you know, and I've shared the story about my Arabic friend that I used to have when I was selling for Pepsi, and every time I'd show up at his store, he'd have a sandwich ready for me. And someone else came in with they had to have a sandwich with me and him. And since they were with me, they were obviously going to be a friend of his. I mean, this is the way they thought of it. I ate with the guy. I ate food with him. That's intimate, almost. You know what I mean? It's like we, we ate food together. That's not. We don't think of it that way. You know, we have drive-throughs and we see other people eating this stuff in their faces with Big Macs in the parking lot as you go by, or whatever's happening. But but to them, no. You we ate together. That's that's not just. And we don't necessarily get that. You know, we don't have that. And it's in a way we do when we have our fellowship meals I think we go away with a sense of you know fulfillment which is which is the meal itself could not possibly give us we we go away from fellowship with a real sort of sense of encouragement and, and everything so but the Middle Easterners man those people food is you know that's why when they even they in their religious practices like when they fast during Ramadan you know from sun from, from uh, they, they don't eat or drink all day long okay and during the process of Ramadan they, that's meaningful to them they're depriving themselves of more than just the food, right? And f- so whatever reason, it's, it's, that's, uh, I, I would say probably to the deeply religious ones, not the sort of the 
I'm sure you have your cultural Muslims like you have your cultural Christians so-called that sort of go through the motions right so very important very very important that, that you know to understand what a, what a slight this would be because that slight represents something in the real world as well what is, this, what is this slight that Jesus is getting at in the parable? What does this slight represent in the context of what's going on? What, what can we say is going on in the lives of the Jewish people, the Israel people, the people among whom Jesus is ministering that represents a similar slight? What's, what's, he, what's he getting at? Yes? Well, I would say for the, that uh, the gospel's going out. Mm-hmm. And it's being ignored by so many people. Mm-hmm. The invitation is there. Mm-hmm. God can be seen in creation. Yeah, and, and that's true. But in, in terms of, go ahead, Gary. I was going to just give a verse and say this might be sort of a summary of what he's getting to. In John six forty, um, you're not willing to come unto me mm. that you might have life. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. Yes, Susan. Um, I was looking through that whole parable, and it strikes me that it was just pride, because in those excuses, there's a, a, a matter of self-importance. Oh, definitely. And when he says to go into the streets and get the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, they know they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. that's the humility. Yeah. There's, um, each one of them has this sort of, I promised I would do, I said I would do this, now I have to do this kind of thing to it, you know. The, the third one certainly isn't any better. Um, but, but I guess before we get to that, just this, sometimes I don't think that God's people then and today realize just what a magnificent thing has happened by just His inviting them to the feast. Mm. I just don't see the, the, the wonder of that. Just to see the very idea that I've been invited to this thing, and you're right. The, the, the and we'll get to this. The, the beggars, they would never expect such an invitation. There's something in the word blessed. Mm. Jesus says after he tells them in verse 13 that when you give a feast, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, mm-hmm. the blind. It really is a symbol of all those that don't know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. And, and you will be blessed. Yes. Because there's no repayment. Yes. Repayment will happen. At the end of the age. Yes. Yep. And he even mentions resurrection, which they probably don't even understand. Yes. <coughs> then, then in the next verse, he says, Blessed, this gentleman says, was reclining at the table, says, um, Blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. They thought they had it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they thought the kingdom of God was going to be revealed to them, and then he said, No, it's all not knowing what blessedness is. And Jesus tells them what blessedness is. Yes. Yeah. It has to be that condition of mind which would be willing to invite. And Gary, you, I stand correct because you had mentioned the resurrection of the just before, and I had said that comes after. That does come before. So your, your point was more well taken than thought. Going back 20 minutes ago. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> no, just the word blessed. Yep. It's used by Jesus, yes. and then a gentleman uses it. And yes. then, it's all in their feast, their eating, their their kingdom, yes. so forth and so on. And Jesus gives this parable. Yes. Yeah. You were invited. You don't want it. I mean, even if the Pharisees thought about inviting, you know, one of the crippled, one of the, they probably wouldn't just from the social pressure. Absolutely. Uh, they would be like, you know, they would be, uh, they would themselves become outcasts mm-hmm. of the Pharisees. One of my favorite gospel hymns. It sort of summarizes this. Mm. I'd like to just read a couple stanzas. Yeah, do it. And uh, so edifying, I find. Come hear the gospel sound, yet there is room. It tells to all around, yet there is room. Though guilt, though the guilty can now draw near, though vile, they, they need not fear. With joy they now may hear, yet there is room. God's light, God's love in Christ we see, yet there is room. Greater it could not be, yet there is room. His only Son He gave. He's righteous now to save all who believe on Him. All who on Him believe, yet there is room. All things are ready. Come, yet there is room. Christ everything hath done, yet there is room. His work is now complete. Before the mercy seat, a Savior, God, you must meet, yet there is room. God's house is filling fast, yet there is room. Some guests will be the last, yet there is room. Yes, soon salvation's day. From you may pass away, then grace no more will say, yet there is room. Amen. We have a 
children's book at our house is a story about it's an animal and he's told to go out and invite all these different animals and so he finds the first he goes to like the oh it's a mighty elephant oh I bet you the king would love to have him at his table and, and he refuses it and he goes to another great big proud lion you know and says oh I bet the king would love to have such a beast at his meal he refuses it you know and so he ends up going to like the skunk and the hedgehog and the porcupine and right he said cool so I was going to bring it and read it to you but <laughs> sometimes it's just so much clearer that way you know uh, yeah it's important to remember that he prepares a place for those who believe and for those who don't believe yeah, yeah. And <laughs> so no kidding that, that's a fact that's a fact sadly uh, drastically different places that, that quickly then just the last just the last refusal here is uh, I've married a wife therefore I cannot come now Were you not betrothed three days ago or five days ago, whatever it was? Were you not betrothed at that time? You know, I mean, and he doesn't even offer an excuse. He doesn't even say, please excuse me. Um, and that one is just, uh, I mean, that might be the worst of all of them because, I mean, a guy's also using his wife as a really lame excuse. You know what I mean? I mean, it's an insult to her. Um, I don't know. It's just... Uh, that one just seems really weird. I've married. I've taken a wife. I, I can't need that. Again, doesn't even ask to be excused. So you see sort of three different types of people in this, uh, but they have a very common very common reasons. Um, and, and we even see those that think that they need to make excuse. I think this last person might be the most depraved, so to speak, if we're going to sort of spiritualize it, because he doesn't even attempt to make an excuse. He just assumes, you know, that... People understand, whereas the other ones both ask at least to have an excuse made for them, which is that's awesome. like when we invite people to church. Oh, I'm busy on Sunday. Yeah, or, you know, I work some Sundays and I'm t- or yeah. I get home late on Sunday night and I don't, yeah. you know, I can't get up better. You know, all yeah. kinds of excuses. Yeah, and, 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 and what we would have to do in that circumstance, see, unlike Jesus in that circumstance, and unlike this situation, we don't know what we know about that person's past nearly as much as what we know about the past of Israel. We don't know, in a sense, how to contextualize why don't they want to go to church? Why isn't you know what's going on with them? Is it the same reason? Is it the same pride? Is it the same you know? We, and that's where we have work to do, okay? Because it has not been revealed to us. We know that they're sinners. We know that they're going to have unacceptable excuses. But how do we contextualize? How do we reach them the way that Jesus knew how to interact with them? Because we are. As soon as they, as soon as you invite, you've you've opened up the spirit. You 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 fired the first arrows. You're the first line. You're, you're firing off the archers. You're the that's the archers in, in medieval warfare, right? Those are the archers. As soon as you invite someone to church, the battle is joined, and now the enemy begins. He's going to step right in and he's going to counter. So, real whatever's going on, realize that as soon as you invite someone to church, you've opened up a spirit, another front in, in spiritual warfare, and, and it's good. No, no reason to, to not be afraid to you know. So, uh, we we have to close so that people can get upstairs and get ready. We'll we'll finish off this. Parable. Next week, I figured it would be a two-weeker. Uh, Brother John, would you please pray for us? And we'll be dismissed. John in the front row. I don't oh, know your yeah. last name. Yeah, Sorry, buddy. Yeah, Thanks. Father, thank you so much for this time to study your word and to get to know you more, Lord. We thank you for the banquet that's been, par- been prepared for us, and we, we look forward to that day, Lord. And we thank you for all your provision in our lives, Lord, the, the, the powerful teaching here, Lord. We pray that we grow more and more into the image of your Son, Lord, that we grow in sanctification and holiness, Lord. And we just thank you for all that you've done for us. And bless the rest of this day, Lord. Let's honor and glorify your name. Amen. Amen. Amen.